travel is a catalyst for transformation. And this is what we talk about every week on the Travel Coach Podcast. Here, inspiring stories of people whose lives have been changed through travel. Some have uncovered new strength, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, while others have discovered new potential for relationships or careers. All have found that travel helps to chart a new path. Tune in and jump on board. It might empower you to realize your own travel dreams. Beth Santos, welcome to The Travel Coach. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So I'm so excited about this conversation today. But before starting, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Beth. I am founder and CEO of an international collective for travelers and for travel content creators that's on a mission to make travel better for women everywhere. It's called Wonderful. It started as a blog back in 2013. Today, it has chapters all around the world, conferences, a big festival that we're launching, a whole influencer community, um, brand partnerships, and a number of things. And, um, and it all started um, on a trip of my own. You know, I um, am originally from the Boston area in the States, and that's where I live now, even though I've traveled a lot of different places in between. Um, I have, I'm a mom with two little girls. One is four and one is about to be one next month. So I'm going to have a one-year-old. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> um, thanks. I know. Gosh, especially with like it being a COVID baby, we're like, finally, you're human again. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm, my family's from Portugal. I'm a Portuguese American and that's without telling you too much of the origin story of Wonderful. That's what sent me on my journey. Um, I have a degree from Wellesley College in art history, which was something that I didn't know what I was going to do with and kind of set me traveling. And then when I started to really build Wonderful, I went and got my MBA um, to really understand just um, a little bit better how to actually run a business and how to run a socially minded business as well. And so today I do that. I also, um, during COVID, actually bought with my husband a cafe nearby. So when I'm not working on Wonderful, I'm like pulling espressos as a coffee shop owner and um, I'm just committed to building really meaningful community wherever I go. I think that's something that's really important to what I do. And I'm really thrilled to be here. That's so impressive. And I cannot wait to go into detail because I want to know every single thing. But before that, you know that the Travel Coach podcast is all about stories of transformation. So yeah. I would like if you can tell us in a couple of words, what does transformation mean to you? You know, I was thinking about this, and and for me, the thing that makes transformation really important and kind of like what defines something as being transformative versus not being transformative is, above all, it's very internal. It's something that we go through. And especially when we talk about transformative travel, for me, that means when a part of yourself emerges and it's different than the part of yourself that was there before. And you actually go through an experience that makes you think of something differently or see something through different eyes. And I don't think that that's necessarily something that happens to you externally so much as something that happens from within you. And that's what real transformation is all about. That's so true. Thank you for sharing your insights on that. So powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Beth, you achieved so much. We just, you just explained all the things, right? And the huge community. And 
but I'm in front of successful people like you and just feel so curious about to know where everything started. Yeah. Right? So tell us more about who you were, who was Beth, and, and what was the, that moment of inflection where, yeah, this, this journey started. So I gave you a little teaser of the story. And so let me back up and sort of explain this. Um, so, so my family is, is Portuguese. And I grew up not speaking the language, but knowing I had a very active part of my family um, on the other side of the pond, Portugal. And, um, and it was in, in college that I actually studied abroad in Portugal and got to know my roots better. And I became fluent in Portuguese and, um, and just kind of, it was absolutely transformative. If we're using the word transformative. I mean, it was just a part of myself that I didn't even know existed. And, and I started to know better. And when I came back to the States, um, I graduated, you know, I had my last year of college. I graduated with a degree in art history. I had no idea what to do with an art history degree besides be a museum curator, which was a hard job to get and a hard job to get during the recession of 2008. That's when I graduated. And so I ended up moving to D.C. I got a job with the Embassy of Portugal um, and I was hosting events for them. And it was at a picnic that I met a friend of a friend who was the executive director of a nonprofit in a small country called Sao Tome and Principe. And that country is a two island nation off the west coast of Africa. It's a Portuguese speaking country. Um, so it was literally me at 22 years old meeting somebody and he said, you know, I have extra rooms. I can offer you room and board in exchange for volunteering for my nonprofit. You have the language ability. Would you like to, you know, come and volunteer? And I was like, sure. <laughs> so really without any hardly ever even hearing of this place before. I just moved sight unseen to Sao Tome and um, and ended up doing a lot of work there. I, I ran a laptop program um, for a middle school class for oh, two years. And, and it was during my time, actually, this time when I was truly, truly traveling alone. I mean, completely just without any sort of, of bearings, showed up in a place and began to live extremely hyper-locally. I mean, I got my motorcycle license so that I could get to school every day. I was teaching with a group of other teachers. You know, I had a boyfriend. I was getting groceries at the market. I mean, just completely hyper-locally, but also being a foreigner and, and very much standing out as one. And um, And I think in that time when I was really trying to understand where I fit in, I also was understanding what it was like being a woman experiencing those things and realizing that women's realities abroad are very different. And when I say that, I don't just mean different from men. I mean different in every place that we go from every other place that we go. And one thing that women always have to do when we travel is we have to constantly learn, okay, what are the social norms in this place? What are the, what's the appropriate dress code here? What are the gender expectations of women here? And I was really, really intrigued by that. And so I just started to write about it. And it was, you know, it started as me just kind of sharing my stories on a blog. And eventually I went literally to Craigslist, which is just a, you know, simple message board platform back then um, to find other people who were experiencing the same thing and built an entire editorial team of women who were traveling the world, who were looking for a place to share their experiences 
um, and and looking for that sense of community. And um, and kind of that's where it all began. I think a blog slowly turned into chapters, chapters turned into um, a, a huge network, and we just kept building on this fundamental need that we had as women for resources and support and connection and guidance from one another. So it was all like an opportunity that landed yeah. in, your, in your lap, right? And you were in the right time, in the right moment, and just said yes. Absolutely. I mean, I think it was it, so many things were converging at the same time. You know, blogging was not even what it is today. You know, blogging in, in 2009, when I first started this, it was just, it was like writing in a journal. You know, it, wasn't, it happened to be online. I mean, so there was that. There's, there was this, this movement in the internet world of online communities and, you know, and, and blogging and content creation that became a huge part of, of us. I think at the same time, there was a lot of this um, movement in solo female travel. I think women have been traveling alone for a long, long time, but the conversation about women traveling alone is still young in a lot of ways. And I think we, unfortunately, I think when we talk about solo female travel, we still fall into one of two categories. Either it's about like fashion and how much fun you're going to have and like this magical eat, pray, love adventure that you're going to go on, or it's about how dangerous it is and, you know, how much you have to protect yourself. And, and so I think you know, while the conversations are still so very young and immature, the fact is that the reality of women's solo travel experiences, we need so much more. And so it was, it was this kind of perfect time of so many of us traveling, but not realizing how actually huge this market is. And also the fact that ways to connect online were really starting to grow and blossom. And then I think those things just converged with my own experience. And we realized, had to do something about it so you were like a young in your early 20s we are talking about yeah it's 22 22 and uh, maybe i don't know how much you traveled before that but you know like making this decision like this because was something temporary <laughs> or was something long term what was the plan at the beginning you know there was no plan and i I do not know if I would have been that I would be that gutsy today if somebody said to me, oh, just come move to this country that you've never been to. I'd be like, what? Who are you? What do you want from me? Like, what else do you know? And I have so many more responsibilities. But I think um, I, you know, I had studied abroad. Um, but besides that, I wasn't, you know, I'd been to some places. I'd been on some vacations, but I was by no means like this trailblazing, you know, always on a plane kind of person. I was just looking to find myself. And I think that's actually what made that experience so revolutionary for me was, um, is that when I did get there and, and I don't, I don't really think I had expectations of how long I would be there. I just knew I didn't really have many other options. And I just got so ingrained in this community and I loved it so much and it was hard for me in so many ways. And I think that caused me to write on a much deeper level about my experience rather than just, you know, things to see in this destination or, you know, like best tips or whatever. It was really about like these, these fundamental feelings that I was having of confusion or of culture shock or of, you know, questioning myself. And I actually think that it was a lot of those things that we built our community around because there weren't a lot of places for people to feel vulnerable and to look for that, that sense of connection. 
Um, and so through our writing, we kind of created that. We had this whole network of women who were all sharing times that they had felt confused or, or questioning or alone. And maybe we'd never been to the same place before, but we all knew what that felt like and that united us. Yeah, that's so true. We, we are more used to hear the, the fun part and the nice part of travel, but this vulnerable right. fear, concerns, and you were yeah. transparent, sharing honestly how you felt. Because were all these fears and worries and concerns, did you have any of these? I know you said you were young and very gutsy, but did you have any of these before taking the, making the decision? Or you just said yes, and it's when you yeah. arrived there that you started to... I'll be honest, I don't think I I don't think I had any concerns. But you know what I did have is as I got more and more into the travel space, I started to see how much more that is the predominant thing that women are told. You know, I went to on this trip, as I mentioned, sight unseen, you know, just on a whim. But I think and and fortunately, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate that I that I had parents that went along with that because now that I'm a parent, I'm like, I don't know if I would ever let my daughter do that. My parents were like, whatever, we can't talk her out of it. But, um, but I think that's, you know, now that I see how we talk to women and how we talk to girls when we talk about travel, we put a lot of fear in them. And that fear doesn't come from within us. It comes from somewhere else. Somebody's telling us to be afraid for some reason. And I, I still remember this, actually. It was around the time I started Wonderful. And I was, I was sitting in a coffee shop, and I came across this news story. And it was about this woman. I don't, you might remember, Sonia. Her name is Sarai Sierra. Her name was Sarai Sierra. She was an American woman who traveled to Turkey, and she was killed there. She traveled there solo. And, you know, they were kind of for many days trying to figure out what happened to her and, you know, the details. And during that time, you learn that she she wasn't single. She was a married woman with two kids. And I still remember coming across this article and looking in the comments, which now we know never to read the comments of like a news story. But back then, we didn't know that. And the comments were like, what kind of husband would let his wife travel alone you know, to this place? And like, what kind of mother would leave her children to travel alone? And, and I remember sitting there just amazed because this woman was murdered. And the thing we're most concerned about is that her husband let her travel by herself, or that she's a bad mom. Like, that's the stuff that was. And so it just woke me up to the stories that we're telling women. And, you know, and the fear and the concerns that we have, those are real, obviously. And, and those are things that we need to help each other with. But, but that's not all that travel is about. And I think because we're always told to be afraid, it creates a lot of hesitation in women to get out there. And so I really wanted to create a space that was truthful and honest and real that could talk about, you know, how we felt and give people space to feel those things, but also to disrupt some of those narratives and to talk about, you know, the grounds that they come from. And so, yeah, I think that that really um, hit me because up to that point, I had not felt afraid. And I think realizing that that was what served to so many women was really jarring and upsetting for me. Yeah. And, and I, I'm sure they would never say that if instead of a woman, it was a man that was oh, traveling alone, right? No, never, never in a million years. It would not no, be a, not at all. But 
husband or about father or about, you know. Can you imagine? I mean, that would be newsworthy for me in itself if something happened to a man and somebody said, wow, he's such a bad father for leaving his family. I mean, we don't talk like that. No. So, right. I think you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of what what we see and what we expect. And um, and yeah, and even that, I think it's still, you know, the other thing that really, really try to do at Wonderful is have a very intersectional approach to all of the things we talk about, you know, in addition to the fact that women are often served this, you know, one narrative about safety. The other thing I think when we talk about women in travel, usually we're talking about white women in travel. And usually we're talking about young, Western, able-bodied, you know, women who travel. And there are so many points of our identity that are as affected, if not more, by our travels. And um, and I actually wrote an article about it and about how, you know, when we look at even, you know, safest place, every kind of article that's about women in travel is like safest places for women to go when we travel. Some of these things are based on surveys. Like they literally just ask a group of people, you know, oh, how do you feel when you're walking around you know, X or Y destination. And to to ask that and to then incorporate it into, you know, what should be a scholarly piece, it's just so irresponsible because you're basically taking a group of people and it could be anyone. Maybe you're just sp picking a specific identity group and then you're asking them, you know, what their own biases and perceptions are about a place. And that just... It's like there's there's so many things that are wrong with that. And I think that answer is also really different. How you feel, how comfortable you feel walking around in a place also depends a lot on who you are, how you identify, what you look like, what your history is with that place, what that place's history is with you. And you can't just, you know, you can't just put that into like one data set. Yeah, and, and every experience is very personal and subjective. So every person very much feel so. different. It's not that yes. much about the place, but the interaction between the person and the place. That's yes, exactly. Exactly. So you said that because you have also Portuguese background, that you were excited about knowing more about how, how I mean, how this place, I know you didn't go to Portugal, but how this place helped you to connect with your roots, with your origins? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when I... So I, I studied in Portugal for a year and and then of course, you know, I started to immerse myself in the Lusophone community, right? The Portuguese speaking community. And I honestly think that that entire journey that I went on taught me so much about myself and just opened up. You know, when I was growing up, I had no interest in my Portuguese heritage at all. I really, really didn't. I didn't want to know about it. I didn't want to know the language. I didn't like how things smelled. I didn't like all the old people I was meeting. Like I just, I was not into my family and not into my Portuguese heritage. And I think as I got older, I just got more curious about it. And um, and I actually, I in learning about my heritage, I also learned very deeply about my family's immigration story, which I think as an American was a really interesting thing to learn. Um, and And I think it gave me insight on myself and the struggles that my own family had been through. And, um, and you know, it gave me a lot of pride, I think, in my heritage. And, um, and that's something that I've taken with me everywhere. I mean, I honestly, I cannot imagine a world where I hadn't gone through those experiences. And it really set me on this path. I mean, if I hadn't been interested in my Portuguese heritage, 
I wouldn't have taken this opportunity in Sao Tome, right? I wouldn't have spoken the language, so I wouldn't have moved to DC for this embassy job. I wouldn't have gone to Sao Tome. I wouldn't have had this incredibly transformative travel experience. I wouldn't have written about this place. I wouldn't have started my company. I literally would not be anywhere near where I am today if I didn't take a step back and try to learn and embrace who I am and learn about myself. And I think that that was that's a critical moment in this this path that I went on. Like you were following the breadcrumbs and wandering to the other and the other and the other. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because when you're on that journey, you don't see the connection at all, right? Like I remember, I actually still remember I was applying for a job once and I had my resume out and somebody said, they looked at it and they were like, these things are all so random. Like you don't have anything that connects with anything else. I still remember somebody saying that to me. And like, I really did. I felt like my whole life was just on this, you know, here I'm studying art history and now I'm moving to Washington DC. And now I'm traveling to this country I've never heard of. And it all sounds so disparate. And then when you look back, it's like, oh yeah, no, the pieces all fit together really perfectly. You connect the dots looking backwards, this Steve Jobs said that. So, okay, so you started this blog, right, sharing your own experience, your own personal experience in this foreign place. And what happened? How how from a blog, right? Because many people (laughs) write blogs and travel blogs. There is many of them and not everybody makes it. So (laughs) how this happened? You know... (sighs) How did it happen? I mean, I wish I could just give you this formula of like, well, we did this and then we did. And, you know, that's I think the other thing for me to keep in mind. So I mentioned, you know, I I have my MBA now. I studied business formally. And one thing that I've noticed about when people start businesses is usually you have an idea of a problem. And then you try to solve it with a business. So you go in with an idea, you know, something you want to do. But Wonderful actually never started that way. You know, it started from this very personal space of me just writing. And and that's how it existed for a long time. You know, we've gone through a lot of iterations, but but that first iteration was just writing and sharing our stories. And in that way, we built a large online community of readers. And I moved to Chicago after a, a few years. And um, And I remember when I was in Chicago, I thought, you know, I have a lot of readers that are based here. Why don't we put together a meetup, you know, just so everybody can meet each other. And we thought, okay, let's, you know, we'll have a ticket price and maybe that ticket will go benefit a local nonprofit or an organization doing something for women and girls around the world. And we got together and it just, I remember looking around the room, we probably had, I don't know, maybe between 20 and 50 people it wasn't like a huge it was but it was you know respectable event Mm -hmm. and um and I remember looking around the room and seeing people just talking with each other and like you know when you're just really engrossed in a conversation with someone and your eyes just light up and you're really into it and and I remember seeing groups of women that were just leaning in and and just with their eyes really lit up just talking with each other and it felt like the physical version of what I had been doing online, right? It's like giving women a space where they could connect with other women who had been through a lot of the same experiences that they'd had, maybe in other places, maybe in other times, but had been through those feelings. And 
And I always joked that if you can put women in a room and give them the topic of travel, those two things are like enough to have in common that they could just talk for days. Because <laughs> like, because mm -hmm. that's what would happen, you know, we would just ask about some of these travel experience and it would just go into, oh, I've been there. Oh, well, what did you do? When did you go? Did you go to this place? What did you do? What was it like? What kind of things did you eat? You know, and they could just talk forever. And, and so, um, so we started doing events in Chicago. And then I think it was one of our writers said, you know, I live in, um, I think it was, I think Boston was actually our second chapter. And she said, I live in Boston. Could I host some events here? And that was just the beginning of our chapter network. And so we started creating um, in-person events for women to just meet and connect and share their stories. And it was in 2014 that we realized that this whole time we'd been building a business from a blog and we'd seen other people who were building businesses from their blogs or, or just starting a blog. And so I, and this is, this is a hundred percent the truth and how I'll say it. I had just gotten married and I'd plan a wedding for 180 people. And I thought, well, maybe we should have a conference. I've just planned an event for 180 people. How hard could a conference be? So we planned a conference in four months, which by the way, is not the timeline you should have when planning a conference. And we put together the first WITS or Women in Travel Summit, which is a professional event for travel content creators, influencers, builders in the space. And it was actually when I think one part of Wonderful really fundamentally changed where we're always about supporting women and helping women travel, but we also talk about the industry impact of that and how can we support women who are business owners in travel? How can we make sure that the travel industry is representing and supporting women at the same time and not just, you know, putting the responsibility on the travelers themselves to be safe or to have an amazing experience or whatever. And so we put on this event and it ended up completely changing our business. You know, we started doing more of this thought leadership from the industry standpoint in supporting women. And we've been doing WITS ever since then. Um, we just had our first WITS Europe in 2019. We went to Riga. And, um, and uh, I think having that event allowed us to really grow some of our our influencer programming, our campaigns, um, our brand partnerships, so that we're not just, you know, talking travel for the sake of talking travel, but also talking about what is our responsibility to make travel better for all women everywhere. Um, and it just, we just kind of followed, followed the journey of, of need and followed what our community was looking for. And rather than saying, you know, there's one thing that we want to build and publish and, you know, launch or whatever, we really looked at what kinds of needs does our community have and can we rise to serve them? That's so impressive. Listening the mm -hmm. needs and creating, the, you know, using the power of community. And I cannot, cannot wait to see how all this is going. <laughs> I, you will tell me about the plans you have, what's next. But yeah. before that, I know that it's been difficult here, a couple of years, too many months yeah, with COVID seriously. and all these lockdowns and pandemics. Yeah. Where did you see travel? What do you see happening with travel in 2022? Um, you know, I have a lot of hopes for travel in 2022. And I think they're similar to what my hopes were in 2021 when I thought travel was going to come back. And it really is that I hope that we're using this time to make better decisions in our travels. And 
And I, I see myself doing that, actually. Like, I, I'm thinking a lot more about the environmental impact of my travels. And I'm thinking more about, you know, okay, instead of flying, maybe I'll take a train somewhere, you know, or should my destination be more local? Or should I support more small businesses when I travel? Or should I look at minority um, and immigrant communities in a place and support their work? And I think my hope is that we can all be just a little bit more meaningful and responsible. Um, and, and one thing that I think we often forget is that travel is one of those industries where each one of us who's just a you know, small player in the space, each one of us spends hundreds, if not thousands of dollars every time we make a travel decision, right? And that's, that's really different than a lot of other industries. You know, it's not in every industry where every time you engage with it, you drop $2,000 or euro or pounds or whatever. And, um, and I think in that way, it makes each of us as travelers, investors in the travel industry we want to see. And so I think we actually have a higher responsibility to be very thoughtful about our travel decisions than arguably other decisions that we make because the impact is so great, the economic impact every time we do it, that we really have to make sure that our choices are good. And so, so I really hope that in 2022, we see people who are considering more local travel, who are opting out of travel when it's not um, a, a good choice for them. And when they are traveling, that they're looking at supporting local communities, they're looking at their impacts on small businesses, they're looking at their impact on the environment, and they're, they're choosing, they're voting with their money on the kind of travel they want to see in the years that follow, because those are the things that will survive past 2022. And so it is. Thank you, Beth. Before finishing with the interview today, you know, I love collecting hidden gems from all around the world. So if I'm going to let you go before you share with us, what's the place that the area in your region, in your town, that would you like to share with us? So I am really excited to share this one because it is one of my most favorite museums in the whole world. And it is um, a very small museum in Boston called the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. And the story of this museum is it was owned, it was the home of this woman named Isabella Stewart Gardner. She married into a lot of wealth. And when her husband passed, she ended up traveling the whole world. And when she traveled, she would collect um, all sorts of art, you know, beautiful art, statues, paintings. And she bought this house with this live courtyard in the middle and just completely curated the whole collection herself. And what was really fascinating about this, so first of all, the art is just absolutely stunning and the architecture of this place is, is really beautiful. But there's also this really interesting level of local fame that this museum has gotten because in her will, she wrote, nothing should ever change positions in this museum. The way I have left these pieces this is the way they need to stay. If anyone ever moves it, then everything must be sold and we have to shut the museum down. Wow. And in 1990, the world's, I think up to that point or possibly still today, biggest art heist happened in that museum. There were two men who came in, pretended to be security guards and stole, I think, $50 million worth of art. 
And so, but because of the way the will was written, you, they were not allowed to move anything. So when you go into the museum today, you see pieces of art and next to them, you see empty frames where the art was literally cut out of the frames. And it just has this really ethereal effect to it all because you, on the one hand, have this incredible story of this woman and on the other hand, have watched this like really horrible part of history, but also that has become part of the story of the museum and you get to be part of it as the visitor. So I, I 100% recommend it for anyone who visits. And if your name is Isabella, you get to go for free. So that's no not way. too bad either. <laughs> yeah. That's so fun. Thanks for sharing that. I didn't know about it. Yeah. yeah. Definitely check it out. Definitely. Please do. <laughs> Thank you, Beth. So before saying goodbye today, if anybody wants to contact you or they want to know more about Wonderful Community, tell us more. What's next? Yeah, so we would love to have you come join. We now have a membership community that does online events. You get access to all of our chapters, and you can do that by going to She's Wonderful. That's wonderful with an A. She's Wonderful.com slash join. And you can find us on all of our social channels at She's Wonderful. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you, Beth. Thank you very You're much so for being welcome. on board today. Yeah, no, it's been so fun. Thank you. This has been a blast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you and everybody tuning in. Happy and safe travels. Bye, Beth. Take Bye. care. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For new adventures every week, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For more travel coach insights, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Sonia Cruz Oro. Happy travels. Oh, 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 oh,